I don't have a huge bucket list, you know, like the list people make that got kind of famous when they made a movie, I think, called The Bucket List. Like, there's not that many things that are apart from ministry. I have some pretty lofty goals ministry-wise and some things I would like to do for Jesus and because of Jesus. Um, but just as far as, like, fun things that are on normal people's bucket lists, it's like a really small thing. Like, uh, people say, don't you want to go to Europe someday? I'm like, no, I really like Oregon, you know? Like, it just, I'm not, I'm not driven by, like, going and seeing things. It's, I, 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 I like pictures on the internet, but I don't, like, feel a need to see something. Like, the Eiffel Tower, what are you going to do when you get there? You're going to go, hey, the Eiffel Tower, and then you're going to be done. Those things, like, don't connect with me, and you're like, see, you think I'm crazy. But there's, there's a few things on my bucket list. Uh, I do want to see the Northern Lights someday, and I'm planning that trip for my 40th birthday. Better start saving money because it's getting closer every day. But, um, but I'm planning that for my 40th birthday. It's really hard to see the Northern Lights, side note. Uh, you spend a whole bunch of money, and you might not see them. Uh, you just have to kind of get lucky. So it's a weird trip to try to, to figure out and plan. Um, I want to see uh, my Blazers win the championship, um, and I'm hoping that that will kind of start tonight, the Blazers winning the championship. Uh, Bryn said I could wear my Blazer t-shirt because it was the first game of playoffs today. Uh, and uh, the third thing that was on my bucket list until I crossed it off this week is that I wanted to see Garth Brooks in concert. Um, I, I said this the other day, and it's only half a joke. Uh, during my heartbreak in my younger days when those women didn't think I was good enough for whatever, uh, there were two people who got me through, and their names were Jesus and Garth Brooks. Uh, and, uh, and this week, uh, I had this really weird day, really emotional kind of day. Uh, Bryn and I took the day off, it was Wednesday. We had the ultrasound to find out with the gender of our baby, which is a girl, if you didn't know that already. Facebook, you can't tell anybody anything anymore. Um, uh, we're having a baby girl, so that was kind of emotional and kind of made it real. And you guys, uh, if you've been around, you know that we've had a couple miscarriages, and so I've been really like, like hold offish on excitement and all that, but then when you see like something that looks like a baby, uh, like an alien baby, but looks like a baby, uh, hopefully she doesn't hear this sermon someday, but then it gets kind of real, so that was kind of emotional. I was about to break down in the, in the ultrasound office until I couldn't tell if something was wrong with the baby, and then I just went back into like dad mode, like, um, and somebody tell, nothing's wrong, but they won't tell you that, and it freaked me out a little bit, um, and then like we were kind of having a nice day, and we're hanging out, and we run into Mike and Chris at Goodwill, and everything's kind of a nice little day, uh, and we have a gender reveal party planned for the night, and I get a phone call from my cousin, and I'm already pretty emotional, right, and, and, and my cousin is sick, and her husband is taking her, hus uh, her himself and their two daughters to the Garth Brooks concert uh, because it's their daughter's, one of their daughter's college graduation gift, and Marla says, I I'm talking to Mike and Chris, actually, and she's calling me over and over, and I'm like, okay, delete, decline, I'm not, I can't talk, and then she sends me a text, and I haven't told Mike and Chris this yet, just drummer Mike, if you don't know, uh, and, and, and she sends me a text that says, call me back right now, I have Garth Brooks tickets, and then I'm thinking, like, I gotta stop talking to Mike and Chris, you know, like, I'm done with these people because Garth is calling, and so I call up, and they had seen a Facebook post. I'm not shy about asking uh, for things I want on Facebook. If you didn't know that, I actually have a nice cowboy's jacket because I had posted on the internet that I wanted it from Goodwill, and, and Tony picked it up for me. He's right back there, not sitting with the rest of you for some reason. Um, and 
And he, he's like, hey, I just kind of saw your post and thought you might like to go. And, and I, I didn't want to like, you know, you don't want to look uncool. I, I, I'm like, I, no joke, I'm being, this is so pathetic. But I'm like kind of fighting back tears. I was already emotional. And I'm like fighting back tears and like, oh my goodness gracious. Like I am living the best day of my life. And I didn't know when I woke up this morning. This is incredible. So I cut my gender reveal party short because, you know, priorities in life. And uh, we told that all you needed to do is... Find out it's a girl, and then I was on with my life. And I'm driving, I'm driving to the Garth Brooks concert and trying not to think about traffic because I'm not a big road rage guy. I'm pretty calm, but when Garth Brooks is there and you're late, then uh, then there's some road rage going on. But I'm just assuming everybody else is listening to Garth's double live CD like I was that was driving on the freeway with me. And a song comes on that you guys all probably know because Garth is bigger than the Beatles. And uh that's true, actually, if you look at the numbers. Um, and uh, you know the song, Unanswered Prayers, okay? And so, so the song Unanswered Prayers comes on, and it's about, you know, Garth or whoever wrote the song for real, uh, like running into his old high school fling at a football game, and then uh, I don't want to, like, actually say the lyrics because that's kind of embarrassing. I could, though. Uh, and uh, no. <laughs> Me and Garth sang it together the other day. I don't feel a need to do it anymore. Uh, and, and so... Uh, the song's on, and I'm just, it, I'm like very emotional because it's like about how you, now you're with your wife and it's better than the old girl, right? And like I said, Garth and Jesus got me through the hard times, not in that order, but, uh, and, and, and so I'm, I'm kind of emotional, and then a lesser emotional song comes on, but it really just, it kind of hit me, like as I was thinking about life and where I've been and where I'm going and what I want to be, and all this like emotion is kind of spilling over, I'm crying, going down I-5, uh, and then this, this other song comes on that's lesser known, um, and the song is, is about how uh, a dream is like a river, um, and you never know where it's going to go. And, and that really was like connecting with me about like my purpose in life and what I want to be and where I am compared to where I was when Garth really connected, because I hadn't listened to Garth in a long time. Uh, God forgive me. But uh, I, I hadn't really listened to him. I'm thinking like, man, these, these songs kind of defined me when I was young, like what do I want to be and where I'm at? And then... Um, Gar sang another song, and there's this line that I, this is where I'm getting to right now. And this line is, is you just kind of ponder your life and where, you've, where you are and where you want to be and where you've been. And I think we got to kind of ask these questions, and there's moments that kind of draw us back to, like, what do I want to accomplish in life? Uh, there's this, this line in one of Gar's songs, and he says this, Life is not tried, it is merely survived if you're standing outside the fire. And the point of the song is like there's some people who, who are just too cool or too scared or whatever to like really jump into life and they just kind of just kind of go through the motions and their goal really is to stay alive. It's just kind of to keep moving forward and all of that. And, uh, and, and it just struck me in that moment for a lot of reasons. People, for one, keep telling me my priorities will change with a baby and I keep telling people and they, parents think I'm wrong, but it's like my priorities aren't going to change. My priority is always and will always be to bring glory to God. How I do that might change. How I spend my time might change. But the priority of my life doesn't change at all. It, it won't change at all because I have a baby. It's simply going to change forms. And, and all this is kind of coming to me. And, and my sermon, you know, I'm thinking about my sermon too. And, and here's what I see about most people, including Christians. And this is the sad part, that it falls, uh, Christians fall under this category. Most people live their lives simply trying to stay alive. Standing outside the fire, in the words of Garth. 
Most people live their lives just to kind of fit into the status quo, to kind of keep moving, to kind of like keep their heads above water, and eventually I guess their goal is to like die later than everybody else. And Garth kind of sums that up in a song, and people all sing along at the concert, but the reality is, you know, all 20,000 people I was singing with at the concert, you know, like 95% of those people are probably just living outside the fire. Their goal is just kind of to stay alive and be okay and be comfortable and just kind of to be, you know, normal or whatever. And we're talking about the resurrection at our church. Resurrection. That's Jesus' Resurrection. And what Paul's going to say in this passage we're going to look at today, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 34, is that as Christians, we can't, we shouldn't just be people who kind of stand outside the fire and go through the motions and live to stay alive. Now, what he's going to say to people who don't believe that Jesus rose is that basically you, you can't have purpose. You can't have real purpose if Jesus didn't get out of the grave. But if, this is what Paul's going to say, and I'm just going to get right to the point now. If Jesus rose from the grave, then all of a sudden our lives can have a greater purpose than kind of staying alive and being comfortable and being like everybody else. And I think this is good because I think, I hope, that all of you want to have a purpose in life. I think everybody in some way, at least when they're young, you know, and they're fresh and they maybe just graduated from high school and you heard your high school graduation speech and you didn't listen to anything, but you know what he said, you could change the world, you know? And you think, yeah, I want to do that. That's something I want to do. And some point in life, it seems like it just kind of fades. And it didn't fade in a guy named Paul who wrote many of the letters that we have in the Bible. He never lost like I can change the world. And he did whatever he could do to change the world for Jesus. And I think it's because he believed and he witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. And that's kind of what he tells us in this passage we'll look at today. So here's what he says. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Now, just to catch those of you up who haven't been here really quickly. uh, Paul's been saying like if Jesus didn't rise then Christianity is not true. And if Jesus didn't rise, then all the guys who wrote the thing that we call the Bible, the letters that are in the Bible, they're all liars. And if Jesus didn't rise, then you're not forgiven for your sins. And you're going to carry sins to your grave. And all you have to look forward to is death for eternity. And then right here, he's like, wait, wait, wait. But Christ has indeed been raised. Jesus did rise. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also, come, also dead comes also through a man. For is, as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. This is what Paul says. It's very simple. He says, Jesus did rise from the dead. But Jesus isn't the only one who will ever rise from the dead. Because all people who are in Christ will also rise from the dead. Jesus was just the first fruits. Like you see the first, the pears grow on trees. Okay, the first like pear on the tree. And you don't go, man, I got a pear, sweet, one pear, that's awesome. You go, oh, pears are coming, you know, like I'll be able to make a pie, like something better is coming. When we see new life, we don't think like this is the only new life that will ever exist. We think like, hey, more is coming. People are laughing because I don't know where a pear grows. Is that what's happening? Or did I got something on my face? That sounds delicious. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Fine, blackberries, but I hate blackberries, and I was trying, I like the flavor, I just hate uh, the church property blackberries specifically. Um, and so, yeah, make a pear pie. Somebody make a pear pie and bring it next week for our food before church. 
You guys going to listen now? <laughs> like, I don't know. Brent told me my hair was messed up, and maybe they just noticed or something. I don't know. Uh, but I don't know what else. Oh, yeah. You don't say, like, pear, only pear. You say lots of pears. I'm going to eat a pear. Better. Uh, when you see life, you go, hey, more life should be coming. It's a reminder of life. And, and what Paul is saying is, Jesus got out of the grave. He did. I witnessed it. That's what Paul has been telling us. And, and, and what it says is not that Jesus got out of the grave. What it says is that Jesus got out of the grave, and now you, who are in Christ, can also get out of the grave. Now, here's the theological teaching that is going to drive our next sermon series, which I'm, I am so pumped about the next sermon series. It's called Identity. It's about reclaiming our identity in Jesus and, and taking our identity back from what the world has told us or what your parents told you or what your friends told you about yourself and saying, what does Jesus say about me and myself? That's, that's going to be the question. But in it, the first sermon, I'm just, here's a little preview of it. It's going to say we, we can be two of, one of two places. We can find our identity in one of two places. One, you can find your identity in Adam. Two, you can find your identity in Christ. And the Bible, the reason that this is such a big deal and has tons of implications because the Bible, Paul specifically, says there's only two ways that you can live your life. There are only two kind of places you can stand in your life. And it's one in Adam, and that means the things of the world. You know Adam, you've heard of him, like Adam and Eve. Adam was the first guy created, and then he sinned, and and the world then has always been full of sin and full of death. And and Paul makes clear that, that your life can be caught up in the things of the world and, and can be caught up in sin still and you can be a slave to sin and death as Adam was because he chose to sin. Or you can be in Christ and you can have life and you can break the bondage of sin and, and you can one day uh, look forward to heaven and, and you don't have to live for the things of the world but you can live for, for things that have eternal value and all of that. And, and so Paul here uses that and, and throughout the book of... of um, Ephesians that we're going to look at in the next series, it's like his driving force. But here he just uses it once and he says, look, if you're an Adam, I'm not going to say much more about it, but if you're an Adam, all you have to look forward to is death. If you're just a person that has never given your life to Jesus, then death is what you have to look forward to. There is nothing better after it. But, Paul says, if you are in Christ, if you, as Paul has described for us, and we've talked about over the last couple weeks, believe that Jesus died according to the scriptures, that he was raised from the dead, and you declare him as Lord, then you are in Christ, and you have eternal life to look forward to, because Jesus was the first fruits of people who would get out of the grave, and we are going to follow suit, those of us who have been made alive, who are in Christ. That's great news. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Like, we can look forward to death or we can look forward to life. And I choose life because I like pear pie. Uh, and this is, he continues. Where does he continue? There he is. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power from his reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that it does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. What this says is that what we have to look forward to ultimately in Christ is the return of Jesus. 
We look forward to this time when Jesus will come back and he will begin a new heaven and a new earth and we will live in perfect perfection for eternity. It's going to be awesome. The Bible is not where we get this idea that we're going to float on clouds, that we're going to play harps all day long. That's, that's not from the Bible. That's just, I don't know, something that, that people made up or I don't know. I think I got it from All Dogs Go to Heaven. I think that's where my theology came from was the cover maybe of All Dogs Go to Heaven. Uh, and the guy was bored. Remember he actually jumps out of a horrible children's movie by the way. Uh, our daughter will not see All Dogs Go to Heaven. Uh, it's like, hey, heaven will be terrible so come back to earth. Like, that's bad. That's a bad message. Great movie, bad message. But uh, this is the deal. Now, what Paul is saying is that we look forward to when Jesus comes back and here's what we know about heaven it's going to be great and we can kind of guess that it's going to be because the bible tells us that actually for eternity we won't live on in heaven we'll actually come back to an earth that's been made like heaven and so what we can guess is that heaven will be what we can look forward to at the return of christ is everything that you love and you like apart from any of the sin and the bad stuff if you like i was told yesterday that i'm I really like sports for a person that doesn't like to go outdoors, uh, and I'm not, but some of you I know, you like to go hiking and stuff. Imagine if you could go hiking without getting tired. That'd be great. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? Because getting tired, not for, for me, I, I mean, if I could watch a Blazer game without getting tired, that'd be better, but, or a Garth Brooks concert. But, uh, but some of you, it's like if you could just hike around and see all the stuff that Oregon has, but never get tired, never get sick, never have to go to work, you know? I mean, just kind of living the dream. I mean, for some, it's like great music and, uh, and you wouldn't have to pay. And, you know, I mean, you just, we can just imagine, we should be able to kind of imagine what it will be like when Jesus returns. And Paul's like, hey, someday Jesus is going to come and this is what we have to look forward to and everything is set right. And life is great and it's perfect and it's fun and it's good and we don't have to worry about death or sorrow or any of that. And he makes that point specifically by saying, here's kind of the order of things. He says, look, God has made Jesus the head of this earth. Now, if you understand Christian theology, then you already have a little bit of understanding. That's, but as Christians, we believe in a triune God, the Trinity. You maybe have heard that term. We believe that God is three persons in one being. Very hard to understand something that I'm not even going to try to explain today, but that is what we believe. And we believe that when Jesus was born, Christmas, you've heard of it, uh, he subjected himself to God the Father who still was in heaven. And we also believe that now Jesus has risen again. We've talked about that. He came out of the grave and then he went back up to heaven. And now God the Father has subjected everything on this earth to Jesus. And what it's saying in this passage is that everything ultimately is going to fall under the control of Jesus. Every person that says, I'll never serve Jesus, will fall under the control of Jesus. Every power in this earth that seems anti-Jesus will fall under the control of Jesus. And ultimately, the greatest moment when Jesus comes back, death will end because it will come under the control of Jesus. Death will be no more, as Paul will say at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. And the whole point, the whole, the whole reason that God has this wonderful, great plan is not so that we could be happy, even though that's a great byproduct. It's so that God may be all in all. So that God can be worshipped and glorified and honored and we can all look to God and say, wow, I deserve death, but I get this eternal life in this perfect place where I can just have fun and hang out and worship you. That's awesome. It's all about God. And then Paul goes back. 
And this is huge. This is, this is, we're getting right to purpose and like, okay, what does this mean about my purpose? Now, if there's no resurrection, he goes back. What will those do who are baptized for the dead? What? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat drink, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So a couple of things here. Paul now wants to prove this to you. He wants to prove something big to you, and that is Jesus rose, and he's going to prove it by saying, look at how you already know that there is life after death. That's kind of the point here. And he wants to show, he's going to show in this, the purpose of his life is based on the fact that there is life after death for those who are in Christ. And the first big, huge, large, crazy, difficult question is, what the heck does he mean? He says the first proof, the first proof that life goes on after death and that if we're in Christ we have something to look forward to is what will those do who are baptized for the dead? Wait. We've never done that here. What's the problem, you know? Like, if you've heard of it all, you've heard of it because Mormons do it. LDS people do it. What does Paul mean? People who are baptized for the dead. Who's baptized for the dead? What is that? Who, why is that happening? And we believe as Christians that, that people don't have a second chance to accept Jesus when they die. So why is somebody getting baptized for the dead? Let me give you an answer. It's a really good answer. It comes straight from John MacArthur, actually. We don't know. There it is. Good one, right? And if John MacArthur says he doesn't know something, I don't know if you've ever read anything. He thinks he knows everything. Uh, And so if John MacArthur says he doesn't know something, then we really don't know. A lot of people make guesses, but we really don't know. And this is is Paul's point. Paul's point is not get baptized for the dead. And a couple of uh, faith traditions practice it today like the LDS people. But that's not Paul's point. Paul's point is to take something that obviously was happening that was taking place, and to say, look, you already know, you already believe, even though you're claiming not to believe, you already think and feel like there is something after this life. The way I would explain it is like this. If Paul was writing the letter today, he might say something like this. If the dead are not raised, then why do people go to tombstones and talk to their loved ones? And we would, I mean, as a Christian, I'd say, I I don't think your loved one can hear you. I'm sorry if that's bad news. I don't mean that harsh. I just don't think that they probably can. Uh, But I understand it's like a healing thing for people, and it's it's an important thing for some people to do. But, But Paul would say, like, if the dead are not raised, then what's the point of that? It's something that we do that maybe isn't logical. It's not theological in any way. It's just something that kind of points to the fact that even the staunchest atheist kind of, kind of believes that maybe there's something after a person goes into the grave, right? Like, why are you doing that? Well, because it seems like it matters in some way. It just kind of seems like there's something important about it. And so Paul takes this tradition that these people apparently in Corinth are doing, and he says, hey, if you guys really are trying to claim that people don't get out of the grave, which they were, then what's the point of this thing that you do? You already kind of get that something happens after this life. And then he goes into this, and this is, he goes right into himself. He says, look, like, and this this is where the purpose comes in, but he's like, if the dead are not raised, why do I live the life? that I live. Now, we talked about Paul uh, 
couple weeks ago, and we talked about kind of the witness of Paul, but I just want to quickly uh, bring you up to speed on that if you haven't been around. Paul uh, was, was a guy who hated Christians. He was a Jew, uh, and he hated Christians maybe more than anybody, so much so that he held the coats of people who were stoning the first martyr, and he even says himself that he killed uh, Christians, that he persecuted Christians to the point of death. We don't have any stories like that, but that's what he says. And he requested, he requested, this is his idea, this is his brainchild, like, hey, let me go around and let me persecute Christians until they claim that Christianity isn't true, that Jesus didn't get out of the grave. And then he has an encounter with Jesus and everything changes and he becomes a person that goes out and tries to tell everybody in the whole world that Jesus raised, was raised from the dead. And here he gives us a couple of examples of what that cost him in life. First, he says he was endangered every hour. You go, well, that's some hyperbole. I'm not sure. I mean, there may have been some hours where Paul wasn't in danger, but it seems as you read the story of his life that's recorded in the book of Acts and things he says in the letters that he writes, that Paul was in danger just about every hour of his life after he decided to tell people about Jesus getting out of the grave. He says he faces death every day. He literally woke up every day facing death, thinking, is this town going to kill me? Every time he got up to say, hey, Jesus rose from the grave, he wondered, is this the time that they're going to stone me? And he got stoned quite a bit. But is this the time that, that they're going to stone me and I'm actually going to die? And then he says he fought wild beasts. We don't know if that's uh, metaphorical or not. Um, that uh, church that, that in Ephesus, they didn't treat him very well. Not the church, the people in Ephesus didn't treat him very well. And so we might be talking about how they like, tried to tear him apart, like they tried to ruin him, they tried to persecute him. Or maybe the guy fought wild beasts, which would make him more awesome uh, than maybe you already thought he was. And I don't know how that really works with the whole resurrection thing, to be honest for you, like... An animal got mad at him. You don't talk about the resurrection. We'll get you. I don't know. But listen to this. Acts 9, 23 through 25. Right after Paul becomes a Christian, right after he meets the resurrected Jesus, we read this. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Paul's like a brand new Christian. We try to like let people work into the whole Christian thing. But Paul's like a brand new Christian, like, oh, I believe Jesus got out of the grave. I'm going to give him my life. And people want to kill him because he starts talking about Jesus so much, so much so that he has to be lowered in a basket on the side of the wall. And then 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 27, Paul tells us all about what's going on in his life. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Isn't that crazy? I mean, Paul says this. If the resurrection isn't true, if people don't have something to look forward to after this life, if Jesus didn't get out of the grave and therefore he's not the first fruits, but he's not fruit at all, and we're not going to get out of the grave, then why am I doing what I'm doing? He's saying, I live this life because I believe in another life. 
He's saying, I live the way I do because someday I'm going to meet God face to face because someday I know that I have something better to look forward to and so I will sacrifice my very body for the sake of telling others about Jesus because I know that this is not it. This is not the end, but something better awaits me. If you don't believe something better awaits you, then even if you're the staunchest Christian, the strongest Christian, the person who loves Jesus the most, it's going to be hard to tell people about Jesus and get made fun of even because nothing else awaits you. It's all about this life. I'll just point out that Paul could make this same argument with other people who have lived in history, who have had encounters in spiritual ways with the risen Christ. I mean, think about people right now risking their lives in the Middle East and East Asia. I mean, think about that. Why? If it's just for this life, why are people over there in East Asia or the Middle East doing whatever they can to talk to one or two people about Jesus, knowing that they might get thrown in jail and killed? Or at least beaten? I mean, think, why? No reason if the dead are not raised. Think about peeing, people being, not peeing, don't think about peeing. Think about people being missionaries in other places besides America. I mean, think about what it takes to leave your country where you're comfortable and you're happy and things are okay and you could get a nice little job to go and hang out in a third world country or a place that is not developed at all to risk life and limb. I mean, it takes a belief that something else is going to happen after this life. I, I'll just, I'm going to keep telling this story because I think it's so profound. I've told this story a lot. My missiology professor, uh, Dr. Wright, was an awesome guy. And he, he left his family, uh, not his wife or kids, but I told the story last week, I think, too, but it's important. He left, like, his parents and his, you know, cousins and nieces and nephews to go be a um, missionary in Brazil with his wife. And the stories he tells are incredible. I mean, he lived in a house where people, uh, a, sh- uh, a shack where people would just look in the windows all day long because he was a white man. And they would just stare at him, him and his wife, while they were sleeping. He'd wake up, people would just look at him because they were so different. And he, he told this story, and Dr. Wright always, um, he was an older fella. He just would tell the same stories over and over, kind of like I'm doing with the stories. Maybe if I get stories as good as his. But, but he said, people would always say to him, how could you leave your family? And he'd just be like, sarcastically be like, you know, it's because I hate them. You know, like, and his point, the point he was making to our class is that he didn't, he didn't go to Brazil because he, he thought it was going to be a, an adventure or because it was going to be comfortable or because he would look cool or because he had a problem with his family. He left because he believed that Jesus got out of a grave and he left because he believed that there was something to look forward to after this life and he could give this life to something greater than himself. And this is the, Paul, the point Paul is making. If Jesus hasn't risen, then people don't rise. But if Jesus has risen and Paul saw him, then, then people will rise because Jesus is the first fruits and it changes how people live because we don't have to live just to stay alive. And then Paul makes this point and it's really important because I think when we, we go, oh yeah, well I do believe Jesus rose again and I do believe I have something to look forward to after this life but we live like people who don't and Paul says this thing he says this very important thing he says if the dead are not raised if there is nothing to look forward to after this life then let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die he says if there is no life after this then live a regular comfortable happy life do whatever you can to get good food and good drink and have great entertainment Because it's all about this life. 
It is all about this life if the dead are not raised. Paul even says that our morals are driven by this. He says just after this, do not be misled. misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. He says, hey, by the way, even if you think about morality, it's all driven by the fact that we have something to look forward to. I mean, some moral laws are really good and really helpful for you now, right? I mean, you kind of get that. Like, it's better if you don't cheat on your spouse, just kind of for your life now. But other moral lies, if we're being honest, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this when I'm preaching, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like, sometimes it would benefit me quite a bit to just tell a lie. Sometimes that would just be easier. It would be a little lie. It probably, you know, they always tell you as a kid, like, oh, white lie is going to be a tangled web someday. Not always. I could just lie and be done with it and nobody would be that upset and it wouldn't turn into another lie sometimes. That would be easy to do. But I believe something happens after this life. That I have a spiritual life to look forward to in eternity. That I'm going to be with God someday and I do my best to honor him because of him. Paul is saying, look, your morality ought to be, should be, needs to be driven by the fact that there is a life after this one. That the dead will rise again. And here is what Paul is saying. I'm going to take it from both sides and all angles. He's saying great news, great news for those of you who don't like this life, who think this life is a bummer, who struggle. If Jesus rose, which he did, Paul's made a great case for it already, then people that are in Christ will rise and therefore we have something to look forward to. This is not it. That's good news. Now, if you're not a Christian, I would just say like you should get in Christ because if not, then then you're dead and you will be dead and you don't have anything to look forward to because this promise is only, as Paul said, for those of us who have been made alive in Christ. But, but here's the other part of this. I look at Paul and go, wait a minute. I believe what you believe, Paul, and hopefully you. I believe that Jesus got out of the grave. I believe that I will rise again and that I have something better to look forward to. And most of those people in my church and every person who's really a Christian says that they believe it too. But I look around and I see people that are living just like everybody else. And I think Paul would be like, wait a minute, you have people that believe there's a life after this one and they live just like everybody else? I fought wild beasts because I believed it. And what are you doing? Mm, Nothing really. You know, I mean, I kind of pray a little bit, and sometimes I pick up a Bible. I think Paul would be like, are you serious? Like, you believe there's a life after this one, and that's the life that matters, but you're not out trying to share it. You're not out trying to have a purpose. You're not out trying to have a life that's full of meaning. You're too scared to get made fun of. I fought wild beasts. And this is is what I I think For, for us who are Christians. I think that the resurrection reminds us, compels us, shows us that our lives can have purpose because we no longer have to live just to stay alive and kind of fit in. You guys might know this picture that's gonna come up on the screen right here. Uh, This is like from the four spiritual laws. This is Angela's drawing of it, actually. Um, And this is a famous tract. It's the things that people used to pass out to lead people to Jesus, and some people still do, but not as many. Uh, And it's this picture that, 
that shows that we're separated from God and, and we're on one side and God is on the other and we're separated and then it kind of has the cross in the middle and, and the reminder is that Jesus died and rose again so that you might have access to God. And, and I want to take that because we believe that, right? Like, isn't that, isn't that, if you're a Christian, yes, you believe that. Like, Jesus died, now I, I get to go to heaven someday. I have a life to look forward to after this one. I'm connected to God uh, and I don't have to live for just this life anymore. But let's pretend that we're walking towards that eternity. And let's pretend that the cross is a balance beam. Uh, I'm stealing this illustration, uh, and I didn't have a balance beam like the real version. Uh, this done by Francis Chan, who, if you don't know who Francis Chan is, listen to him. He's saying the things that I say, uh, which I, uh, makes me like him a lot. And, but he has a much bigger platform to say him, and so I'm, just, I'm a big Francis Chan rooter. And this is his illustration, but you have to pretend, because our church doesn't have the budget for a, a real balance beam, which would be really cool if we did have a balance beam, but, but just pretend. And this is, like, let's say that, that life after you become a Christian, you're moving. You know this, right? You're moving to the other side. The cross has been laid down so that you could have eternal life and Jesus got out of the grave. We're gonna be resurrected someday. We believe that. And we hop up on the balance beam. And we know where we're going. We know that we're gonna get there. We've been promised that we're gonna end on the other side. And here's what most Christians do. Ugh, it's just too scary to do anything productive. I'm not gonna move forward I'm not going to try. I'm not going to make any effort. I'm just going to stay right here. I'm going to wrap my legs around it and just make sure that I'm not going to fall down. And you're like, you know, I would live a life of purpose, but, but you know, I got, a, I got a job. I would live a life of purpose, but what if people get mad at me when I talk about Jesus? Or I would live a life of purpose, but I need that TV show. Or I would live a life of purpose, but I just, I'm going to stay here and be comfortable because people might make fun of me and it might cost me something. I might make less money and I, I might have to fight a wild beast. I don't know. Like, I'm just going to stay right here. And here's what we're expecting. We'll just kind of do our hop at the end like, how was it, Jesus, when we get to heaven? Nailed the landing. Did you see it? Stuck it, man. And what we expect, I think what we really expect is that thing that Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. We expect Jesus with his scorecard to look at us and go, oh yeah, well done, man. Well done. Like, how is he supposed to judge this? You know, like, uh, I guess you're going to get here someday, but that wasn't quite what I had intended when I called you to be my son or my daughter, and I said, hey, promise of a life after this one. I expected more like I'm out there doing what I can to live a life of purpose. You see, I think the thing that stops us from living real lives of purpose is that we're just clinging to the balance beam. We're just hanging on for dear life, thinking, I don't want people to dislike me, and I just got to pay my bills, and I just... I hope that, you know, I'm comfortable and that, uh, you know, my kids are just going to be happy, whatever that means. Like, uh, I just, you know, that's it. This is, I'm just holding on to this life and, and, and nobody's going to take it from me. I'm just going to try to live longer. It's like a, the goal. It's like the goal of most people's life. I'm going to live longer and I'm going to enjoy the last few years of the life that I have. And Paul's saying like, hey, whoa, wait a minute. Like, you've been guaranteed to get to the other side if you're in Christ. You've been raised from death. You've been raised from death to life. And you're living like everybody else who is in Adam. I mean, Paul is like, 
oh yeah, once I knew that there was life after this one and that I was going to have it, like, I mean, he says, like, this is what Paul says, I counted everything else that's kind of on the walk of life as poop. That's, uh, that's the most accurate translation I can give you in the book of Philippians. He uh, counted all his loss is how it gets translated, but like all of it, none of it mattered to me anymore. He says, all the stuff that I used to hold on to that I just, I held so tightly to that I, that I loved, didn't care about it anymore. He even says this, this is huge. He says, it would be better for me to die and be with Christ. Paul says that. It would be better for me to die and be with Christ. But, this is what Paul says. He says, but I think you still need me. And so I'm guessing if I was a wagering man, this pretty much Paul says, if I was a wagering man, I would wager that God's going to keep me alive for a while because I need to keep doing ministry because my life still has purpose. He doesn't say like, oh, I really want to stay alive, but good news, I'm going to get to heaven if I die. He says, I want to die because this life that I'm looking forward to because the resurrection is real and I'll be raised from the dead. That's what I look forward to. I want to die. But the only reason to stay alive, the only reason to stay alive is because my life has a greater purpose to expand the kingdom of God, to tell people that Jesus got out of the grave, to show people that Jesus got out of the grave. Isn't that just so different than the American church people today, you and I a lot of times? We just hang on, lay there, say, good news, I'm going to get to heaven when I die. But Paul says, if Jesus rose, you will raise. And it is the reason that you can actually have purpose. You, You don't have to stand outside the fire anymore because the fire cannot kill you. Fire cannot kill you. And so what I just want from you, man, I just, I know, like, I'm not, I'm not one of these people. I'm not one of these people. Uh, but I know so many that are. So many people don't care to live a life of eternal purpose. They might want to have a life of earthly purpose, a world that, by the way, Paul would tell you will someday just burn up. But you might want to have a life of earthly purpose. But I don't know many people that want to have a life of eternal purpose. I want nothing more than to have a life of eternal purpose. But so many people are just living to stay alive and to be comfortable. And Paul is saying, showing, if you believe Jesus rose again, then you have to believe we will rise again. And if we will rise again, then we only have life to look forward to. And your mission, your goal should not be to get a better paycheck, should not be just to be happy, you know, to make sure that your kids are well-liked, to, to go through the motions. It should be something that will matter forever and ever because you lead other people into a relationship with Jesus and because you show the world what Jesus would live like and you, you, you honor Jesus and you please Jesus and you do the right thing at the right time in the right way every day knowing that someday you will be in the eternal presence of the one who has given you a second life. If Jesus didn't rise, the dead are not raised, and life has no purpose. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you have no purpose. You will die. You will go into a grave. You might get a few pages in a book somewhere, but nobody will really care except for maybe a history teacher. But if Jesus rose, you can have purpose that goes on forever and ever and ever. And I hope if you believe it, that you'll take hold of it 
and you'll say, I'm going to live a life of purpose. And if you don't believe it, I hope that you will at least examine it and say, what does it mean to be in Christ? Because I want to have a life of purpose. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray that none of us would stand outside the fire, but we would all jump in. And God, we would we'd put on a show on that balance beam, Lord, the balance beam of life, not so that we look good, but so that you look good, Lord, because we believe that you died for our sins and that you rose again according to Scripture so that we might be forgiven and so that we might have eternal life to look forward to. And God, I thank you for the wonderful examples that we see. I mean, we have Paul, we have people around the world today that are willing to die because they believe something else happens after this life. We have people right here in our church that, that do things, God, only, only because they believe that life uh, isn't going to end when we die here on earth. And Lord, I pray that, that all of us, God, everybody wants purpose. That's the funny thing. Everybody wants purpose, but most people are too scared or too rigid or too routine or whatever to actually live a life of purpose. But I pray, God, that all of us would be looking to make a difference for eternity. Because you have changed, for those of us who are in you, eternity. We, we love you, Jesus. Those of us who are Christians, we love you. And, and we think highly of you, God. But remind us always that if we think highly of you, it, it has to change how we live. It has to change how we live our lives. And I pray that we would go out and, and hopefully, God, if, if things go all right in our country, we'll never have to fight wild beasts or be stoned or, or take lashes, Lord. But Lord, let us be prepared and willing to be made fun of or to be rejected or to make people mad if that's what it means to have a life of purpose. And look, help us to look every day, every day, God, even when we're in the midst of our most routines, routines, Lord, I pray that we would look for a way to make a difference that is eternal and not just, not just for today or for tomorrow or for retirement, but for eternity, Lord. Big difference. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you conquered sin and death by dying and rising again. And I pray these things in your holy name. Amen.